Welcome to Truths for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall. All right, Ephesians chapter 1 and starting in verse 15. And here's, here's, what, here's how Paul was praying for this church, and he wrote this prayer down. He said, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here's how he prayed for them. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who feels all in all. Have you ever wondered what the Apostle Paul looked like? Well, there's an ancient document. It's not a part of the Bible. It's not an inspired document by any means. But there is an ancient document that is called the Acts of Paul and Thecla. And it's, you know, it... it it probably was written around the 4th or 5th century. And it's purported to be a history of all that Paul did. Now, it's not an inspired writing. It's not a part of, of uh, the Bible. It was circulated in churches in the 4th and 5th century. Um, it was made clear it was not scripture. But it, it kind of like history. Okay? And in that document, it's kind of interesting... Um, that in that document, there was a description given of the Apostle Paul. And, you know, it could be an eyewitness account of what he looked like. It could be pure fiction. It could be, you know, things that were handed down. This is what Paul looked like. But here's the description of the Apostle Paul, his appearance according to that document. Paul was a man small in size, bald-headed, can I get a witness? Bow-legged, well-built, with eyebrows meeting, and a rather long nose. Despite his appearance, Paul was full of grace. At times, he seemed like a man. And at times, he had the countenance of an angel. Now, that's the physical description of Paul given in this document. Now, if I had to guess, I would think this description probably is pretty accurate because if somebody's going to fabricate a physical description of Paul, they would have made him sound a little more attractive than that. You know, small in size, bald headed, bow legged, 
eyebrows meeting and a long nose. Reminds me of some folks I've met in my life. Uh, but, you know, we really don't know what Paul looked like. That could be accurate, could not be. But while the Bible doesn't give us a physical description of the Apostle Paul, it does give us an idea of Paul's disposition of the nature of the Apostle Paul. What kind of man was the Apostle Paul? And you can tell what kind of man Paul was from his writings and from the historical account of his, his work in the book of Acts. And so if you take those things and say, well, what kind of man was Paul? You can, you can know certain things. In, in this prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians, the first thing he does is he, give th he gives thanks for these Christians. Now, often in his writings, the Apostle Paul would give thanks. He would give thanks for people. He would give thanks for this. He would give thanks for that. 26 times in Paul's epistles, he made a reference of giving thanks for something. So I think one of the indications of what kind of man, not what he looked like, but what kind of man, what kind of person was the Apostle Paul? I think he was a very grateful man, a, very, a man with a joyful disposition, a man who was quick to give thanks for the big things and for the little things, uh, to give appreciation to people. Uh, to And you know, that kind of description speaks of Paul's humility. Here's what I have discovered. And I've had the privilege of meeting, you know, some, I guess, significant Christians or Christians, maybe that's not the best word, but Christians who have significant ministries and, and, and almost all of them, well, every one of them, without exception, that we would consider to be like, you know, great Christians. One of the things that is true of them is their humility. And it's not a feigned humility. It's a true humility. I think the closer you get to the Lord, the more humble you become. The closer you, who are so far from being perfect, comes to perfection, the more you realize that the, God's grace and mercy is a wonderful thing. And so I, I think Paul's nature was to give thanks often, to be grateful, to have a joyful disposition. Also in, in this prayer, Paul was really encouraging to these Christians. You know, Paul had been through the third heaven. Paul had, had, you know, he had had, he saw the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. I mean, Paul could have walked around like, y'all need to sit down, you know, when you come in, or stand up when you come into my presence, you know. I mean, Paul had, had had some significant experiences. He had actually seen and heard the Lord Jesus Christ. But he never presented himself as being greater than anybody else. Now, he had to defend his ministry often because he was attacked, his ministry was attacked. And in order to defend his teaching, he had to defend his ministry. But he didn't do it in such a way that he was trying to puff himself up, but he, he, he defended his apostleship in order to defend his teaching. 
and the truth. But Paul didn't look down on people. He was very gracious. He was very encouraging to people. I mean, he's writing to people who had a long way to go in spiritual growth and maturity. And he didn't talk down to them. He didn't give them this order and that order and tell them what to do. And they better do this and they better do that. He prayed for them and he, he, he prayed for, the, for, he gave them an encouragement. He, he, and he had an, a gracious, encouraging spirit. See, I like to be around people like that. I don't like to be around people where you have to walk on eggshells around them because they are a hurt feeling waiting to happen. You know, I mean, just there's some people like that. They're just waiting for you to say something that'll hurt their feelings so they can get all puffed up and then and call everybody in the world and say, ah, you hurt their feelings and yada, yada, yada. I don't want to be around people like that. They can just go on as far as I'm concerned. I don't want to be around people. And you don't either. You don't want to be around people like that. You want to be around real people, human people, people who love the Lord. People who don't think they're better than you. People who have a joyful disposition. Brother Jack and I, we were just picking at one another. And I told Brother Jack, I said, you know, as much fun as we have here on earth, you know how much fun we're going to have in heaven? And sometimes I'm sure the Lord's going to say, my word, did I save these people? <laughs> but ain't God good? Ain't God good? And so, you know, Paul had an encouraging spirit. Now, Paul could be, he could be uh, stern when he had to be. I mean, he, he could, I mean, he could lay down the law when it had to be laid down. But Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13. How could a man who wrote 1 Corinthians 13 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit help but be somebody who is loving and kind? And... So I don't know what Paul looked like. I'm pretty sure he was bald-headed. Most great preachers I've ever met have been bald-headed. <laughs> Got to get a witness. You know, I don't... I see that guy on television. I ain't going to mention his name. I see that guy on TV, and he's got all that hair. And it's all puffed up. You know, It's all puffed up and slicked back, you know, and all of that. I don't know if you can trust a guy like that. <laughs> Y'all know I'm just kidding. You know somebody tried to get you. I know. I have to wear my toupee sometimes. Yeah, I had I had Jack Hatcher. You remember Jack Hatcher? Used to be over at Pleasant Grove, head of the barbershop. He kept telling me when I was his pastor, he's going to give me a toupee. I told him one day, Brother Jack, my head's so big, you've got to get a four-pay. <laughs> toupee ain't going to do it. You know? But, uh, you know. But here's the thing. One of these days we're going to meet Paul, right? We're going to meet him. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know how, how heaven's going to work. Are you going to have to stand in line to talk to Paul? I don't <laughs> Stand in line to talk to Moses? Is there going to be a Moses line? Because we all want to talk to him, right? We all want to, you know, David and all these guys. We all want to talk to him. Uh, but listen, we'll have all eternity. We'll have all eternity to do that. So anyway, so... Paul kind of, you know, he, he, he prays for these Ephesians, and it's a beautiful prayer. He prays four things. He has four requests. We're going to run through them quickly. First of all, he prayed that, that these Ephesians may grow in their knowledge of God. Verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power 
Paul said, I want you to know God. I, I want you to grow in your knowledge of God. Now, unsaved people can know the facts about God. They can know some facts about God. But to know God, then say people can know God in their head. But you have to be saved to know God in your heart. And there's a difference. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so Paul says, look, I, I want you to know God. I want you to know him in a real way. I want you to experience who he really is. Now, you know, you, you know God, you learn the facts about God, but beyond that, it's, it's through life experience that you know God. You know, one of the experiences that I had, I, I served as third vice president of the Georgia Baptist Convention. I don't know if I ever told you the story of how that came about. Uh, I, I went, our church at Whitewater Baptist Church was a partner church with an African-American church. It was a restart. They were in Dooley County and the church had almost died. And so, you know, they were serving Dooley County and Macon County. And, and there was such a great population of African-Americans in Macon County. We were having a difficulty reaching them and, and touching them and, and sharing the gospel with them. It's just a cultural thing, you know? They were welcome to come to our church, but we were having difficulty in, in reaching that population. So we teamed up with an African-American church and we supported them and we worked through them and we helped them and we built them up and they built us up. And, and so we tried to reach that population with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, the, the pastor of that church and I were good friends. And he had never been a Southern Baptist. Well, they, they came into the Southern Baptist Convention, joined the Georgia Baptist Convention. So we had a convention meeting in Lawrenceville, Georgia. And I, I, I told Jerry, uh, Jerry Sanders is his name. By the way, Jerry Sanders is now the principal of Darty County High School. He was the principal of Dudley County High School. Now he's the principal of Darty County High School and pastors that church in, in Dooley County. I said, well, this is, you know, now you're a Southern Baptist, Georgia Baptist. Let's go to the Georgia Baptist Convention. So he and his wife and me and Miss Iris, we went to the Georgia Baptist Convention. And Jerry was a, he was invited to speak as a, re, a, a, a church that is being replanted. He was given a place on the program to speak. Uh, about, you know, replanting that church and what was happening. And, I, you know, I didn't have anything to do with that. The convention, he was working with the convention as well as our church. They invited him to speak, and boy, he did a great job. He stood up, he, about 20 minutes, and boy, he got into it. He got to preaching, and, and he's a great communicator. He got into it, and it was great. The people loved him, and, and it, you know, he did a great job. Well, it came, it came time... You know, we have four vice presidents. Now, I don't know why we have four vice presidents of the Georgia Baptist Convention, but we do. You know, I was the third one. I figured if the president and the first two kill over, I was it. <laughs> yeah, no job description for it. So we, it came time to elect the vice presidents. And the guys with the, you know, the most votes would get me elected. Well, I'm sitting with Jerry way up in the balcony of this huge church. And he leaned over and he said, Brother Chris, what are they doing? And I said, well, 
we're electing vice presidents. He said, well, what, what does that mean? So I tried to explain it to him. He said, well, how do you get elected? I said, well, you, you know, the, the, you go down and you nominate the person that you want to have elected. And you tell the people why you think they would be a good, you know, a, a good vice president. I don't know why I'm telling you all this story and what it has to do with this, but anyway. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting there and I've talked to Miss Harris and I looked over and Jerry's gone. And his wife was sitting there and I said, well, where'd Jerry go? She said, I don't know. Next thing I know, that rascal is down on the podium nominating me to be a vice president of the Georgia Baptist Convention. I could have killed him at that moment. I mean, I wasn't even wearing a suit. I had gone casual. <laughs> so, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, that rascal, and I, there's no way I would ever get elected, you know, because they nominated a bunch of folks and had all these big flowery speeches about why these people ought to be nominated and whatever. So he, he made me sound like the Apostle Paul. I mean, I said he oversold me big time. But, uh, and then you know, people voted and they announced it later and I'd be jumped up if I didn't get elected. I couldn't believe it. So I came home as a fourth vice president, which didn't mean a whole lot. But one of the things it did mean was that I would speak at the executive committee meeting of the Georgia Baptist Convention. We had four executive committee meetings. Now the executive committee is pastors from all over the state, people from all over the state. We gather together to kind of run the business of the convention between the convention meetings. And I mean, we had big week preachers. And I mean, we got, you know, big stuff, big stuff, a lot of folks. And it came my time to preach. And I'm thinking, what? You know, I'm going to stand before all of these people? And so I prayed, you know, and I, I told the Lord, said, Lord, Lord, I am not adequate for this. You know what the Lord told me? Go buy, go buy a new tie. <laughs> so I went, I went from the motel, I went to the, the local mall and bought me a new tie. Boy, it was pretty too, still got it. And so I went to the meeting that morning and I was, I was nervous, all these people, never been in that situation. I asked the Lord to be with me and the guy introduced me, made me sound like I was something. I stood up there and the Lord just gave me peace. Isn't God good? And my subject was what I have learned about God. And I talked about how God had, what I had learned about God. I had learned that He was faithful because He had always been faithful to me. I learned that He was my Father. He was my friend. I learned that I could always depend upon God. And I just talked about what I had learned about God. And you know, that's how it is when you walk with the Lord. You can read, you should have faith. But when you go through something that makes you have faith, and the Lord sees you through it, that head knowledge of you should have faith becomes a heart knowledge. You can say, I know the Lord will always be faithful. And that, that's, 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 Paul said, I want you to know God. I want you to know who He is. I want you to know His power. I want you to know His love. And that, that takes life experience. And walking through valleys and mountaintops, and going through things with the Lord, then you learn who God is and how faithful He is. And here, here's what I would tell you. 
Always be faithful to God. Don't run from Him. Don't turn away from Him. Even when you don't know what's going on. Even when you feel like you've been deserted. Even when you feel like you're being mistreated. Never run away from God. God will see you through. God will see you through. He will never fail you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. I can speak from experience. God will always see you through. And it is my determined commitment to the day I take my last breath. I will never forsake my Lord. I will be true and faithful to Him as He has been true and faithful to me. Now to know somebody, you've got to spend time with them. And so, you know, you want to know God and, and, and grow in your heart knowledge of God. You do that through prayer, through worship, and by trusting in Him in the daily experiences of life. You know, life can turn on a dime in a minute, can it? Today everything's okay, tomorrow, uh-oh, the bottom falls out. Well, you can have your questions, and you can have your discussions, like Job did with God, but never forsake Him, because He will always see you through. And I can raise both hands and give testimony. He will always see you through. So Paul prays for them. I pray that you will know God. Second of all, he says, I pray that you will have the hope of God's calling. Before we were saved, we had no hope. No hope of living a life of meaning and purpose. No hope of freedom from fear, guilt, and spiritual bondage. No hope of a home in heaven. But because of Jesus, we have hope. Amen. You know, we're, we're taught not to grieve as those who have no hope. And that's unsaved people. They have no hope. They can have things in this life, but they have no hope beyond this life. But because of Jesus, we have a life of meaning and purpose. We may not get the headlines on earth, but you'll get headlines in heaven when you serve the Lord. I can't imagine how many vacation Bible school teachers this summer got headlines in heaven. Miss so-and-so taught fourth and fifth graders in vacation Bible school, led two of them to the Lord. That's the leading story in the newspaper of heaven. All this other junk that goes on here on earth with all this fighting and all that we have to do on earth, heaven ignores it. What heaven focuses on is what people like you and me do for the Lord every day. When you do something for the Lord, you make a headline in heaven. How about that? The angels sit around reading the heavenly journal saying, look at that. Oh, Brother Chris, he preached that sermon Sunday. Didn't he do good? That's headlines in heaven. You know, God doesn't think like we think. What's important to us is not important to God. Heaven doesn't focus on what we focus on. We have hope. We have the assurance that nothing in this world will ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can know that our sins are forgiven. That we have a home in heaven. Paul said, I want you to know the hope that you have in Christ. That's what he prays. To know God and to know the hope that you have in heaven. 
Then he prayed that they might know their riches in Christ. Verse 18, that you may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I came across this little story. A tax assessor came to a devout Christian one day to determine the amount of taxes the man would have to pay. What property do you possess? Asked the assessor. The Christian replied, well, I'm a very wealthy man. The assessor says, well, list your possessions, please. First of all, the Christian said, I have everlasting life. Second, I have a mansion in heaven and untold riches and glory. Third, I have peace that passes all understanding. Fourth, I have joy unspeakable. Fifth, I have received a divine love which never fails. Sixth, I have a crown of life. I'm a rich man. The tax assessor closed his book and said, truly you are a rich man. And the good thing is your property is not subject to taxation. We're so rich in Christ. I know we may not have much here on earth. and We got more than a lot of folks. I tell the Lord often, I say, Lord, look, I know that I'm so blessed. And I know there's so many more people in this world who have far less than I have and who suffer in ways that I cannot even imagine who are your people. I understand that, Lord. But my need is my need. And, and what I you know, feel like I need is what I... So I humbly present my request to you. But we are so blessed. And the greatest treasure we have is Jesus. The greatest treasure we have is Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather have him than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands. Amen. And so Paul said, I want you to know the riches you have in Christ. Oh, how rich we are in the Lord Jesus. Do you know as a Christian, when you die and your spirit goes to heaven, a band of angels are going to come fetch your soul to take you to glory. That's in the Bible. So you're going to close your eyes for the last time here on earth. You're going to open your eyes in, in, in the next world. And here's all these beautiful, loving, beautiful, great angels going to take you by the hand and take you home to glory. Can I get a witness? We are so rich. We are so rich in Christ. And the good thing about our riches is they can't be taxed and they can never be lost. And finally, he said, he prayed that they would know the power they have in God. The power that they have in God. Verses 19 and 20. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Do you know the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead? The power of the Holy Spirit. That same power is available to you as a Christian. That's what he says. That we have the same power available to us 
The same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead and lift him to glory, that same power, spiritual power, is available to every Christian. Do you know you have the power to change a life? When you share the good news of Jesus Christ, and you tell somebody about Jesus, what he's done for you, what he's can, he can do for them, and they believe you have changed that person's life in this world and in the next. Do you know you have the power to move heaven with your prayers? Talk about power. You have the power to pray to the God of the universe. And the God of the universe hears your prayers. And that prayer has the power to move heaven. You can move heaven with your prayers. What power we have. We have the power to move mountains with our faith. We have the power to make a difference for Christ in this world. We have that power. And here's what I've discovered. The older you get, the longer you walk with the Lord, the more you realize the power you have. You know, Moses didn't start his business really until he was 80 years old. That man done been on Social Security for about 15 years. You know? And by the way, Methuselah lived how many? 900 and some, some 938, whatever it was, years. He broke Social Security. That's why there was no Social Security in the Bible. That one man broke it all. But, but listen, I, the older I get, the more I realize the great value there is in age and in walking with the Lord. And you know, churches today, I've, I've you know, dealt with churches, and there, there's nothing wrong with younger preachers. They all want a younger preacher because they think a younger preacher is going to reach the younger generation. And there's a theological word for that, and it's baloney. Absolute baloney. You know? Listen, just because you got a little age on you, Man, don't you give up and don't you slow down. You go as long and as hard as you can for the Lord. And don't let anybody convince you that because of, you know, your age or whatever, you can't serve the Lord. You certainly can. And you keep serving the Lord. And you tell those that say you have limitations. Yeah, we may have. I may not be able to do what I used to do. I was throwing the football with my grandson on the beach. And I figured out pretty quick that I could play college football. I'd be good for one, one play, and that would be it. I'd be done. You know, yeah, we have limitations. But listen, you know, too many, too many, seniors, too many senior folks give up when they get to a certain age. I know preachers who just coast. Man, I ain't coasting nowhere. I'm going to serve the Lord till as long as I can, you know. Man, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Brother Chuck, keep singing. Keep singing. Don't let nobody tell you to stop singing because you're older than I am. <laughs> keep serving. Keep at it. Thank you for joining us for our program today. Truth for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall is a presentation of Hall Sports Communications. To contact us, you can send an email to chrishall71 at hotmail.com. 
That's chrishall71 at hotmail.com. Be sure to join us for our next program. Until then, stay safe and may God bless you.